Colossians 3, 20-21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. The word of the Lord. We are near the end of our series on the book of Colossians. As we've been looking at Colossians, we are now um, towards the end in chapter 3. And so if you, have, if you have a Bible, you can use um, the bulletin to follow along. But I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible or if there's one there in the pews, to open it up to Colossians 3. There are two big themes that we've been looking at in Colossians. And these are two of the most central teachings in Christianity. So Colossians teaches, one, Jesus is supreme over all things, over all of life, and Jesus is sufficient for all of life. As our Creator, as our Lord, that's what Colossians says Jesus is, He is supreme over all things. This means if you are looking for an authority on what it means to be a human being, what it means and what it looks like to be fully alive in this world, Jesus is the authority on those things. He's supreme. He's also sufficient in order to live the life that we were designed to live, the life we were created to live. We don't need something outside of Jesus. Colossians says Jesus is enough. He's sufficient. We don't have to supplement or add anything to him. Chapter 1 of Colossians focuses on the supremacy of Jesus. Chapter 2 talks about the sufficiency of Jesus. And now we're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 is all about the difference these two things make when we believe them. So we're in a transition here. If you look at Colossians 3, verse, starting in verse 18, Paul makes a big transition. He's talking in more general terms. He starts to get more and more specific and more and more practical. But then when we hit Colossians 3, verse 18... Paul brings everything he said in Colossians home. He brings it home literally. He brings his teaching in to our homes. At the time uh, in this culture, there were a lot of what you would call house codes or household codes. They were guides to how to make your house work, how to put your house in order. And so we find in the Bible here in Colossians and Ephesians and also in 1 Peter we find that the New Testament also has some house codes. And these are how the gospel brings a new code, how Jesus brings a new code into our homes. Now here's a question. Paul's talking about these grand themes, these big and cosmic themes. Why would he end by talking about our home life, by talking about who we are at home? Well, I think it's because... Paul believed, and Christianity taught, that Jesus is all about transforming the real you. And the most real you are is at home, right? Kids, parents, all the niceness, all the pleasantries, they are not, they are not take it into our home. That's all gone. We are just who we are. We are our real selves when we're at home. I've talked to a lot of people, and I've said this myself many times. A lot of us uh, who are older, may, maybe you parents in the room, or those of you who are married, have said things like, I used to think I was so patient. 
I used to think I was so loving. I used to think I was so kind and I was a pretty good person. And then I got married. And then I realized, oh, I still have a lot of issues. And then you say, I used to think I was so patient and loving and kind. And then I had kids. And we start to see even more of our issues and some of the brokenness we have in our lives. So now, nowadays, we have what we call reality TV shows, right? I don't know if you have a favorite reality TV show, if you're big Chip and jo Joanna Gaines fans, Fixer Upper, I guess that's under the category of reality TV. You have the real Housewives of Orange County. When I was growing up, I think it was the very first reality TV show. I'm not sure, but it was called The Real World. Now, when you're watching these reality TV shows, no matter what it is, what you realize, number one, is that everyone knows there's a camera on them. So are they being real <laughs> or are they acting for the camera? Not only do they know that they're being filmed and this is going to be seen by a giant audience on TV, but they also have the ability to edit it. But at our, at our homes, if we were to have a live video, video footage of what's going on what is our home life like? Who are we at home? What happens there? That would be the real us, unedited, if we didn't know it was there. And I don't know how many of us would say, yeah, maybe we should show that at church on Sunday morning. You know, show the footage of the real us, the real home. We would all have a few moments of embarrassment. There'd be some really funny and great things that we'd see. But we'd have a lot of things where we'd go, I don't know if I want to broadcast that to a live audience. I think that's why here and in Ephesians, Paul ends his letters by bringing his teaching home. Because who we are in our closest relationships, that's the most clear measure of our spiritual maturity, of our character, of where we really are. And hear this, this is not to make us feel bad as we get into this. It's not to make us feel guilty, kids. It's not to make us feel like we're terrible and failing parents. This is to give us great hope that Jesus can and will and does transform the real us, who we are when it's just us. So let's look at this. Let's get into this. In a short few sentences, Paul shows us what our part is in making our homes places of gospel renewal. So next week, we're going to talk about spouses, marriage. Today, we're going to talk about kids and parents. And if you're here and you're wondering, well, what if I don't have kids? How does this apply to me? I think it does. There is application here for non-parents or parents um, who are out of the parenting stage, who are not yet parents, but maybe someday hope to be. This text has application for all adult and kid relationships. So grandparents, nephews, nieces, future parents, and any influence you might have in a child's life. So just wanted to say that as a disclaimer. Now, kids... I want to talk to you. Verse 20 is your verse in Colossians 3. And what does it say? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Just one short verse. And in this short verse, there are three lessons that every kid needs to learn. And that every person, we were all kids, everybody here was a kid once, we are all called to learn these lessons throughout our whole and entire lives. Three lessons for kids. So if you're following along and taking notes, you can take notes. I'm going to fill in the blanks for you kids as we go along. Lesson number one. 
The first lesson we are to learn as kids at home from our parents is, you are not God. Pretty, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Children, Paul says, obey. Let's just stop right there, kids. The first lesson we're to learn in this life is we're to learn how to obey someone else who's not us. That's the first lesson. To obey means, what does it mean to obey? Respectfully listen and do what your parents ask you to do. I wish I could make it sound so much more fun and so exciting, but this is what obedience means. No one likes to be told to obey. We understand that, kids. We don't like to be told to obey adults and parents no matter how old we are. But the Bible says everyone, including parents, is told to and is called to learn to obey God. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because He's God. Because He's Lord. Because He's the creator of all things. And He made us. And so we are called to obey Him. First lesson in life. I am not God. I was reading a book with my youngest son, Luke. And it explained it like this. And I have a little picture here, kids, for you to follow along. Think of our solar system. Maybe we can get that picture up. There's our solar system. What's the most weighty and huge and big and massive thing in the solar system? Sun, right? Everything in our solar system revolves around the sun. The earth and the planets must obey the sun's gravity, right? If every planet were to disobey, say, no. I don't want to obey the sun's gravity. That's not my thing. I need freedom in life. I'm going to obey my own gravity. I'm going to do my own thing. If all the planets started to say, no, everybody needs to obey my gravity, what would happen to that picture? There'd be chaos and there would be collisions. But when the, when the earth revolves around the sun, obeying its gravity, then the earth flourishes. There's life and the earth finds its place. The gravity of the sun keeps everything in its proper orbit in place. Obeying kids, I know it sounds restrictive. It sounds like it's taking away all my freedom and all my fun, but if we don't start to learn to obey as kids, if we all learn to act like we are the center of the universe, we are the sun, the Bible teaches us we're on a collision course. We're living out of the orbit we were created to live in. Now, kids, your parents aren't perfect. You probably already know that. We are still learning this, learning how to obey God. But the loving authority of your parents is the first way that God teaches us as kids about His loving authority in our lives. So that's lesson number one. You're not God. Lesson number two. If lesson number one sounded hard, you didn't like it, lesson number two is harder. Let me just say that. The Bible says kids are not only to learn to obey, what does it say? They're called to learn to obey their parents in everything. Kids, do any of you have a favorite Bible verse? If any of you do, it's a couple of you do, this is not your favorite Bible verse, right? Obey your parents in everything. That's hard, everything. Lesson number two is, oh, that's not the right one. 
I think there's a, that, that's the parent one. Somehow that got put. Lesson number two, write this down, is everything matters to God. Everything matters to God. Kids, parents, let me teach you a new word. This is a word in Greek, and it's the word panta. Kids, can you say panta? panta. There we go. That's right, panta. Panta is one of the most important words in Colossians, and it's translated all things. Panta means all things. In Colossians 1, we learn that all things were created by Jesus through Jesus and for Jesus. We learn He holds all things together in the universe. In Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says, God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself Panta. Everything, all things, putting things back in their proper place. So what does this mean? It means our relationship with God, our character, our friends, what we do for fun, school, learning, homework, chores, what we'll do one day when we grow up, our money, our connection to a church, serving others, our interest in boyfriends and girlfriends and our relationships, the movies we enjoy, our TV uh, shows that we love, our books, the apps, our gaming, our sports, our hobbies, our music, our emotions, our questions, our joys, our tears. Do you know that all of that matters to God? All of it. As kids in our homes, we're meant to learn a very important lesson, and it's this. We're not to divide up our lives into pieces. We're not to divide up our lives into over here is the stuff that matters to God, and over here are just the things that I get to figure out on my own or do whatever I want. Somehow in my life, I grew up in the church. I went to um, a Christian school, so I was taught the Bible at church and at school, but somehow I, I grew up learned, somehow picking up the lesson that things that I do at church and when I study the Bible, that's the Jesus stuff. But over here... All these other things, my friendships, my school, what I want to do when I grow up, all those other things was the stuff that I got to keep for myself. Colossians says that's not the way we were designed to live. It all matters to Jesus. Jesus says everything is mine. I created it, I uphold it, and I will teach you how to reconcile it and put it in its proper place. Kids, again, parents are not perfect here. Their job from God is to show you and to learn with you, still learning, we're all still learning, and to talk with you about how to obey God in everything in life. So let me tell you this, kids, don't put up an off-limits wall between you and your parents when it comes to any topic. Can I just tell you that? Talk about everything with your parents. Your parents were kids once, so they know how it is. You have your church family here. You have your teachers here. You have leaders here. Ask questions about everything. Nothing is off limits. Lesson one, kids, obey. You are not God. Lesson two, obey in everything because everything matters to God. And lesson three, there's one more lesson. Uh, Something that a lot of kids like to do is to ask why. Say, well, why do I have to do that? Well, why is it like that? Well, why do, why, why do I have to do that right now? 
And sometimes you've learned that you can drive your parents crazy if you just keep asking, why, 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 why? And finally, what do your parents say? Yes. That's, the fun, that, that, that's, that's like our answer, right? Because I said so. That's the parental comeback. One day your parents, you will be parents, many of you, and you'll say that same thing. Why do we have to obey our parents in everything? Ask the why question. The answer is here. Is it because my mom and dad said so? Is it to please my parents? That's not the reason given here. Look at the passage, kids. Look at the passage, kids. Let me tell you that us parents, we have a hard time with this one. I know because I'm a parent, I have a hard time with this. Sometimes we get confused and we think you're supposed to do what we say because we said it and to please us. That's not what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases God, the Lord. It's because God said so. He wants you to learn that living to please yourself is not how He created you to live. To live to please myself breaks my relationship with God, it breaks and harms my relationship with other people, and it even breaks and harms my relationship with myself. It, mo it moves me further and further away from what will bring me true and real and lasting pleasure. This is lesson number three as a kid, to learn the difference between these two things. The first one being living like this. I want to do what I want to do because that will make me happy. Jesus says, that's not true. That's actually a lie. What's true is when we live like this, I want to do what pleases God because that will bring me true life and fulfillment and joy. It won't always make sense to us. Sometimes we think, it's over there. All the happiness and joy is over in that direction. And God says, go in this direction. I don't understand. But we learn to trust Him. He's the one who made us and He knows. Kids, those are your lessons. I want to talk to parents now for a little bit. It's our turn. Verse 20 is for kids. Verse 21 is for parents. Often parents, when we're talking to each other, and kids, when you're talking to each other, we tend to describe our parents in one of two ways, right? We say, are your, are your parents strict or are your parents loose and free? I'm not going to have us vote right now or put a, our hands up and do a quick survey on who, whose parents are strict, whose parents are loose. But there's truth here. We all tend, as parents, to fall in one category or the other because of how we were brought up, because of how our parents raised us. And for those of us who are Christians here, because of what we think the Bible teaches about parenting. But what's amazing here in this text is that this, this idea of Jesus first, gospel-centered parenting, it doesn't neatly fit into either category, strict or loose. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. Uh, scholar N.T. Wright says, sometimes we emphasize verse 20 and we ignore 21. Or sometimes we do the reverse. We emphasize 21 and we forget 20. If we emphasize 20, we're more strict. If we emphasize 21, we're more loose. But listen to this. They go together. The gospel actually raises the bar on obedience for our kids. Children, obey your parents in everything. That sounds even more strict than the super strictest parent out there. But it raises the bar on grace and compassion and love and the relational connection that needs to exist between parent and child even more than the most super, I'm just your friend parent out there. 
Parents, here's our verse. Verse 21. Fathers, the King James translates it parents because it, it applies, uh, the word could be translated either way and it applies to both parents. Do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Parents, you might be thinking what I thought this week, and that's like, wait a minute, Paul. No, you have this backwards. Parents, don't exasperate your children. Shouldn't it say kids? Don't exasperate your parents. Paul, you were never a dad. You were never a parent. So obviously, you have no idea what's going on here. Isn't that how we feel so often? Parents, I've talked to you. I know how this feels. We often feel exasperated and discouraged. I know I do. We need to be reminded of three lessons that we learn from this text as parents. Let me share each one. First lesson, you have a job to do. You have a job to do. There are many ways we could describe this job. I think from this text from Colossians, I would say the job of a parent is this, to create the best environment for your kids to learn their lessons. The lessons we talked about, the three lessons of a kid, your job as a parent is to create an environment where your kids can best learn those three lessons. Those lessons were to obey, right? So as parents, we do need to provide consistent and clear and calm authority and leadership for our kids. Ephesians 6.4 gives us the positive. This is a parallel text. It says, bring up your kids in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We have to train our kids. We have to instruct them to obey in everything. Parents, we're called to talk to our kids about everything. It might mean that you have a lot to learn because your kids might have questions. You might not know. You might struggle to understand what does it mean to obey God in this area of life. I don't know. That's great. That's your opportunity to learn right alongside with your kids. The best lessons you can teach your kids often come from your own failures, the broken places in your story, the way God has and is redeeming those places. And it's also our job to help our kids to remember why they're obeying us. Why are we calling them to obey? Not to please us, but to please God. Our goal in the language of Colossians, is not to make our kids in our own image. We struggle with this, parents. Not to make our kids in the image that we have for them. If you have your Bible open, look at Colossians 3, verse 10. God's goal for all of us in Christ is that we might be renewed in the image of the one who made us. Our kids are called to reflect the image of Jesus, not our image, and not the image we have for their lives. There's a quick story I want to share. I read this story this week, and it's about a mom whose name is, is Leah. Leah went through a really, really hard divorce. Uh, it was really, really hard for her. She had a young son, and her young son also really struggled as a result of this divorce. Not only that, but her son, she realized much, much later, had dyslexia that was undiagnosed. So he struggled in school. She didn't understand why. He was struggling to make friends. But there is one thing that he enjoyed more than anything else, and that was making just random home movies. 
And so she's like, I don't know what to do, but he loves this, so I'm going to just encourage him in this. So he began making these random, you know, this was back in the days of the camcorder, these movies with his friends, and he kept doing it, and he kept doing it. This young son, his name was Steven, uh, Steven Spielberg, and he obviously went on to become one of the most incredible uh, directors, the most successful directors of all time. And the point of the story is this. Not that one day your son or daughter might become the next Steven Spielberg, although that, that could happen. But just think of if Leah, this mom, said, I have to mold Steven into the image I have for him. He has to su succeed now. He has to get good grades now. She was on a journey of learning and understanding, and she said, what gifts does he have? What things can I develop in him? What strengths does he have? In the same way, parents, we need to learn our kids. What gifts has God given them? What strengths has he given them? In what ways has God crafted their lives and put them together in a unique way to reflect his image? That's our job as parents to see that and to call that out of our kids. I'm going to skip forward. I'm going to skip forward to lesson number two. That's lesson number one for kids. We do have a job to do. Our job is to create the best environment for our kids to learn their lessons. But parents, let me ask you a question before I share lesson number two. What are you most looking for in your kids? What are you most vigilant about? What most gets your attention in, kid, in your kids? Is it disobedience? Is it laziness? Is it performance? Is it their success? Look at the text one more time. Here, of all things Paul could have said, there's just one verse here. There's just one sentence for parents. He said, there's one thing I want you to be watching out for more than anything else. And we can move ahead on the slides there. I'll share those via e-news later this week. Paul said, there's one thing, parents, I want you to always be looking for, I want you to always be watching out for, be looking out for discouraged kids. Do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. What's glaringly missing here compared to the other house codes of the time, if you read the other house codes, it said to dads, mainly, dads, control your kids. Dads, keep your kids in line. Make sure that they obey and they respect, demand obedience. What is Paul more concerned about when he's talking directly to parents? He's saying, he's saying, parents, be less focused on the disobedience of your kids and be more focused on whether they're disheartened or discouraged. Here's what I had to ask myself this week. This, this struck me, that all parents need to ask this question. What does it look like to be discouraged? When am I most discouraged and disheartened in life? What is that for you? I wrote down some things for me. When do I feel most discouraged and exasperated in a relationship? It's if you only focus on me if there's a problem. Otherwise, you ignore me. You care more about what I do than who I am and what I feel. If I feel like nothing is ever good enough for you, exasperated, discouraged. If I feel like I'm not being listened to here, I have no voice. You expect me to do something I don't know how to do. So exasperating. You're telling me to say sorry, but you never say sorry yourself. That's very disheartening. 
Or the last one for me is I just don't have any space to be. I feel crowded out and suffocated. For parents, I think it boils down to this. Our kids can feel discouraged and disheartened when they are over-scrutinized and under-encouraged. When we over-scrutinize them and under-encourage them. Kids have a very hard job, right? Obey your parents in everything. To obey, to listen means come under the authority of your parents in everything. To encourage means to come alongside our kids. We don't come down on our kids with our authority. To encourage them means we come alongside them realizing they have a very hard job. And the goal of our discipline is not about controlling behavior, but it's more about creating an environment for gospel encouragement. Because the truth is, always obedient kids who are exasperated, always obedient kids who are exasperated eventually get burnt out or just completely rebel. But sometimes obedient kids who are encouraged, who are loved, that leads to a lifetime connection where you can give more encouragement and more love. If you look in your bulletin, there's a quote. Um, there's a book that I, I love. It's called Every Moment Holy. And Every Moment Holy is a collection of liturgies for every moment you could imagine in life. And this one caught my attention as I was prepping this week. It's called A Liturgy for a Moment of Frustration at a Child. We can't relate to that as parents, can we? Never had those moments. And here's the prayer that Douglas McKelvey wrote. Let me not react in this moment, O Lord, in the blindness of my own emotion. Rather, give me, a fellow sinner, wisdom to respond with grace that would shepherd my child's heart toward your mercy, so equipping them for the hard labors of their own pilgrimage. That was a helpful reminder to me. It's a, it's a profound prayer. I encourage you to use it in your moments of frustration. But to, it reminded me that our kids have a long journey ahead. Uh, when they leave our homes, their lives will continue on, Lord willing, beyond our own. It's not going to be easy. We know that. So we have this short moment, this short time when they're with us to flood them, to fill them with gospel encouragement, to make sure in their hard pilgrimage that they know that they're loved and that we're, we're right alongside them. So parents, if we see these things in our kids, discouragement, disheartened, we need to stop and ask. Am I over-focused on performance and controlling behavior versus cultivating grace so my, my kids, in my parenting, my kids would see Jesus? Because it's not the gospel if our, parents, if our kids pick up in our parenting that you are loved and accepted and approved when you obey. The gospel is we are loved, we are accepted, we are approved, so we obey. It makes all the difference. One last lesson for parents. Now, why do you think, why do we think that when we read this, Paul had it all backwards? Well, Paul didn't say anything about exasperated and discouraged parents. 
Why are we so often exasperated and discouraged? I think much of it comes down to this final lesson, lesson number three for parents, and that is this. Parents, you are not your kid's ultimate parent. We're not our kid's ultimate parent. Jesus is their Lord. God is their Father. When we forget this lesson, we end up parenting by fear and not by faith, and our parenting ends up being full of exasperation and discouragement. Much of our parenting is driven by two major fears. I want to close with looking at these two fears. The first fear is we fear the verdict. We fear the verdict. These are the voices that happen in our hearts, often parents. What if I fail my kids? What if I'm a parenting fail, a failure? What if I don't do what I should have, all that I could have? What if I don't get it right? That's one of the worst feelings we carry around as parents, and many of us feel this and carry this guilt all the time. Dan Dan Allender in his book on parenting says, the core question of parenting is, what do we do with our own failure as parents? That will determine how we parent. So much of our parenting is driven by the fear to avoid failing, to avoid feeling guilty, to erase that fear, to erase that guilt, so that we can get that verdict over our lives, you were a good parent. You didn't fail. But if that's what's driving our parenting, that will lead us to be disheartened and discouraged, and it will lead our kids to be discouraged and disheartened. What should we do with our failure? What should we do with our fear? The whole context of the letter of Colossians, the whole Bible says it's the same thing we do with all of our other failures. All of our other fears, we admit it. We admit our failures. Parenting shows us we are bigger sinners than we ever thought. We will fail. We have failed as parents, and we will fail again. The gospel says we bring that failure, we bring it to God, our ultimate parent. And when we do, something incredible can happen, something transformative can happen to us. Colossians 2.14, I have it up there on the screen, or you can look at it in your Bibles. Paul said this. He said earlier on, just a few verses earlier, God erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Because of Jesus, all my guilt and failure is erased. And the verdict on my life, including my parenting, including my parenting guilt, is pronounced now. We don't wait till our kids are out of the home. We don't wait until we're done parenting. The verdict over our lives, over all of our sin and failure, is pronounced now. That we are righteous. We are not guilty. Our sins and our failures are erased in Christ. When we take our sin, our guilt, and failure to God, He erases it, and we get the record of Jesus. When we come to Him broken and guilty, when we come to Him as a failure, God does not say, what's wrong with you? Why can't you be a better parent? 
He doesn't say do better, try harder. He says what he's always said to his son and all of his children who believe in his son, you are my beloved son and daughter. In you, I'm well pleased. I sent my son so that you'd be forgiven, so that all your failure would be erased. Believe in my approval. When this happens, when this gets deep into our souls, we no longer parent out of fear, out of guilt. We are driven by the love and the pleasure of our Father, and we learn to parent as we have been parented. We learn to parent as one of God's kids. We don't have to fear the verdict. We also don't have to fear the outcome. Often these thoughts run through our hearts as parents. We say, am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I ruining my kids? How much therapy are my kids going to have to have because of how my parenting has messed them up? If I don't do better in this, if I don't become a better parent, my child will end up homeless and friendless and jobless and in the criminal justice system. Parents, have you ever struggled with those thoughts? We fear the outcome. But if we think the outcome, either the short-term or the long-term outcome of our kids is up to us, that becomes our life, that becomes our controlling idol, then that will crush our kids and it will crush us. We can relax and we can entrust our kids to God, their ultimate parent. Be the best temporary parent you can be. We have influence over our kids. We have a lot of influence, but it is limited influence. We are not in control, but God, their ultimate parent, is. He has the most influence in their life. And when we look to the cross, we can entrust the outcome of our kids' lives to God because we see in the cross that God can take the greatest failure, the greatest brokenness, and out of that bring the greatest good. So God, our Father, God, their Father, is a God of redemption and is a God who brings healing who brings life and transformation out of what we can't even imagine, of places we can't even imagine or dream God could work. He brings and does his best work. So kids, three, three lessons for you. Parents, those are your three lessons. We all need the loving voice of our Heavenly Father speaking over our lives We are his beloved kids in whom he is well pleased. And we can have that voice resounding in our souls because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our perfect and loving Father that as you've called us to obey you in everything, and though we've fallen so far, so far short of that, you have not asked us to remedy the situation on our own, but you have come to save us. You've sent your Son to obey everything in our behalf, to erase all of our sin and guilt and failure. And I pray that message would pervade our homes, our parenting, for our kids. That message would become our treasure, our life, and our everything. Work the gospel, Lord, into all of our relationships, especially those relationships that we have in our closest places, in our homes. Transform us 
Enable us not to bear the weight and the fear and the guilt and the shame anymore. Deliver us so that we'd be free to entrust our kids to you and our kids would be free to trust you, to follow after you in all that you ask them to do. Work the gospel in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.